What is going on, everyone? Welcome to this week's Pardon the Disruption. Based on the pregame and the show here, you guys are in for a treat this week. I promise you, you are. Real quick, I am your host, Matthew Potter. I am your short sale guy, hedge fund connection, co-founder of the family tree at Real Broker. If I can help bring value to your business, please reach out to me. That's what I'm here for. Um, also, wanted to go ahead and make this announcement. Most people know by now, but if you're just tuning in for the first time, wanted to let you know, Pardon the Disruption now has its own YouTube channel. Go follow it on YouTube, subscribe so you can get in the chat and maybe have your sixth, maybe have your question featured as our sixth question. Go follow Pardon the Disruption on YouTube. Gonna go ahead and break down how we do things around here before we introduce our guests. We have five pre-selected questions that literally were done about an hour ago, so you know it's going to be fun today. Uh, 45 seconds for everybody to go ahead and talk about their point, then two minutes to chop it up. After that, we will have points awarded based on the best responses. We're going to go ahead and start out with introducing, down in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, we have RJ Bates the third. What's up, guys? Uh, RJ Bates the third. Um, it's come to my attention after last week's brutal ending by Eric Brewer. The reason why he acted the way he acted is because he is actually a cerebral pelagic. And uh, the reason why he is bald is because he has a prosthetic brain made from latex and cat shit. It's really just for show, much like Steve Train's business. <laughs> Why am I getting dragged into this? Wow. Why did I get dragged into this? Yo, shout out to all the realtors, man. Hey, hey, be easy over there, CJ. Be easy. You got your time. All right. Like I said, based off that intro alone, you guys know what you're in for today. Next up, we have Mr. Disruptor himself. Steve, the business is for show. Train, go ahead. Yeah, hundred percent for show. We we fund this entire thing through a nonprofit agency. I appreciate the love from everybody else. Uh, Steve Train, real estate disruptors. We here solve sales problems. We treat people respectfully, unlike RJ. I don't know when that started, but glad to hear it, Steve. Thanks so much. All right, next up, coming to us from York, Pennsylvania, which apparently is the only town that Eric Brewer knows in that state. Go ahead and introduce yourself, boss. I'm emotionally damaged right now. I'm not even sure how to. <laughs> <laughs> the whole, like, what was the first word you said? Cerebral? Like, what, what was it like? Cerebral prolegic. <laughs> I was just done right there. It was like, I, I just one shot sniper kill. <laughs> and he signed off with that. Wow. <laughs> he he literally just, he, dude, he took his ball and went home. <laughs> Uh, next up, CJ, you with us, boss? Yeah, there we go. We got CJ. All right. Coming to us from Richmond, Virginia, we have Chris CJ Jefferson. Introduce yourself. Chris Jefferson, Richmond VA, the U, uh, hands-off wholesaling, uh, was out last week. Uh, apparently it was pretty eventful. Uh, hopefully <laughs> we get, you know, Eric back after that. Uh, but it's good to see everybody. Good to be back and, uh, looking forward to today. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, hopefully Eric will join us on this first question. Let's go ahead and start it out. Question number one today, should wholesalers have to disclose to a seller that they are wholesaling the property? 
Go ahead and start us off, RJ. So I I think this is a, an interesting topic right now because it's becoming more and more of a trend where more states are saying, hey, you do have to disclose this. I don't quite understand it, though, because it's not necessarily mandating that you have to disclose it up front. It's just prior to closing. So it's one of those things that could kind of just be slid in with the closing documents. Hey, sign this. You know, we're disclosing that we assigned and we wholesaled this property. I don't think that they need to disclose it. I, I think this is an unnecessary step. If anything, if you want to try to, I guess, slow down the rate of wholesaling in your state, then make the assignment illegal like places like Illinois and North Carolina and Nebraska have done. Uh, add some sort of regulation outside of just a blank, you know, a one page disclosure statement. I don't think that's <clears throat> going to get the end result that they're looking for. All right. Like that you uh, threw in the states that have already kind of thrown the roadblocks up there. You know, thanks for showing some prior knowledge there. We appreciate it, RJ. All right, Steve, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, I think it should absolutely be disclosed. And it's something that we actually have inside our contract. Uh, this actually came down the pike, I want to say about a year ago in Arizona, right, where you had to disclose it. And we're like, okay, it's no big deal because we've already disclosed it. I think the, the biggest reasons why people may not disclose it is because they're afraid it's going to kill the deal. And I think it's really important that if you don't have the ability to move this at all, right, or to close on it at all, then I think you should disclose that you're wholesaling it, right? Because otherwise, you're putting property under contract under false pretenses. But with that being said, I don't believe most people uh, disclose because they're afraid it's going to hurt their ability to uh, to get the seller uh, under contract. Very true. Very true. Uh, you know, here in Arizona, we've had that for about a year now. And honestly, if you're good at what you do and you follow through, it's really not an issue. It's really not. Uh, we're going to skip Frozen Brewer and we're going to go over to CJ over here. CJ, what are your thoughts? Look, I, it's such a ridiculous question, really. Um, you know, disclosure, non-disclosure, who really cares? I think the more important conversation is you know why because i know some people were trying to put this together years ago and somehow fizzled out not somehow it costs money right uh but there's no legislative uh you know nobody's lobbying on behalf of wholesalers uh for our interest uh with you know state local federal government uh and then on top of that uh does everybody not realize that wholesaling exists in almost every single industry right when you go to like try to trade in your car right or, or or something like that like you think the car dealerships like keeping it you think the person you get the mortgage from is not wholesaling the note uh to somebody else uh, i think the only caveat may be uh in many situations in wholesaling across industries there's a guarantee or a full intent to buy an effort to wholesale it uh you know everything's like a double close uh so you know I think maybe that, but I think the bigger problem is, are we as wholesalers going to group up and protect our interest? If not, we're just going to be stuck in with whatever comes down the pipe. I think if you look at wholesaling, right, it's kind of the evolution from whole, uh, from flipping, right? Because it started off, you, it was just flippers doing it. And then wholesalers kind of came along where you can source the deal and sell it to a flipper and flip the contract for a fee. And back then, I think it was like three or 5000 or maybe even $500 cash, right? Before, like way before close. I think at that time it made a lot of sense, right? But right now with homeowners, if you're making a promise to somebody and you cancel because you couldn't sell it, 
technically that's fraud, right? Like we've had attorneys like talk about this. If you're contracting a property and you cancel in your due diligence period because you couldn't sell it, you contracted it under false pretenses. Uh, but with that being said, I think the greatest problem where this is going to regulation is going to come down the pike is that we're getting con properties under contract and then canceling one or two days prior to the close of escrow. And look, this happens as well in traditional real estate and no one cares, right? It pisses me the hell off, right? Because in Canada, you can't cancel just a few days prior to close. Normally, your earnest money goes hard about three days, right? They're canceling but at close of escrow. The difference here, unfortunately, or the slight difference, is that it's all been disclosed. What I, what I love about your response is how you defeated your own argument. Mm -hmm. uh, because, because, yes, exactly. People cancel contracts in any course of business all the time. But my like point is, really with wholesaling, if you disclose it, it's fine. The problem is, is when it's not disclosed and then you cancel, right? They're signing a contract under the expectation that it will close. <clears throat> but that's not but that's the same thing we do in real estate, though. I, if, I'm, if I'm selling a fix and flip, I just had mm -hmm. this happen a couple of weeks ago. Day before closing, buyer hits us up, says they're backing out of the deal because the, the, uh, their loan fell out of underwriting, mm -hmm. right? Literally, literally day before closing. I can't control the speed of the underwriter and all the other things on their side. Uh, I don't know how they don't get to that point until a day prior to closing. But what do I? What am I supposed to do? Right? It's like, hey, they whatever is written in the contract. But you knew that was a possibility, right? But so if you have a if you have a contingency clause in your or not contingency clause, but if you have a clause in your contract that gives you uh, a right to market the property, um, mm -hmm. and it states that you may not. Uh, you know, uh, close on the property for an inspection contingency, financing contingency, what have you. Uh, I think that I think the true problem is that people are unrepresented when it's direct to seller and people lack education on the legalities of signing a contract. And so what happens is you, you've got FTC, consumer protection laws, all these different things. So when you've got people who are elderly, when you've got people that are disabled, when you've got people that are marginalized or whatever the case might be, and they're in these situations where they feel like they interpreted the contract as no matter what you're closing on it, then that's when these these frustrations get lifted. But I just don't think it's any different than any other business. Steve, my question to you is: I go to a homeowner, I say, "Sign here, sign the, the sign this disclosure that says that I'm going to wholesale the property." My cash buyers come walk it and say. Yeah, I don't believe in those comps because those comps are from two months ago, plus the roof, plus the HVAC. I can't do it, and I terminate. How does this disclosure help the homeowner at all? It's it's kind of again, it's just a pointless piece of paper that they're signing. I, I don't see how it helps your your argument at all. I mean, if you look at so the contract, right? It's it's what's on the paper, right? It's in the four corners, but there's also an element for us to be in contract. It has to be a meeting of the minds, and a meeting of the minds is basically you and I agree on one thing and we're going to put it all in writing, right? What I'm arguing here, what I'm suggesting here is that there is not a meeting of the minds and that's where the problem is. I'm buying your house. I'm promising you I'm going to close on closing day and then I can't wholesale it to Eric and I cancel on you. That puts you in a really bad spot. All we're, all we're saying is, hey, RJ, price you want, I don't think I could be your buyer. But, you know, I got this other guy in York, Pennsylvania. He buys a lot of deals. If I could bring him along and he could pay the price you want, are you good with that? That's how we're we're disclosing that. I, I guess I'm still not seeing the the reason why that needs to be 
what is the reason why we want to disclose that to the homeowner? Because But that's what we're all doing at all times when we sell anything. You're all anytime you go to sell anything, you're opting into the assumption the person's going to close on the transaction. There's not a hundred percent success rate on people who make commitments to buy things. <clears throat> right? That's but all right, but here, what defines the communication, right? Like is it Hey, hey, we need this to be a verbal communication. I know it's written in the contract, but hey, can we make it verbal? So if, if you well, verbally flip it around, this, why wouldn't you do it? Why would we not do it? Because it's, it's just it's one not, more piece of paper and it's pointless. So now we have two. You have a one-page agreement and a disclosure. That's just too much for you. You're out. It just it You're doesn't just make align sense. to the contract. Here's what's gonna happen, right? Here's what's going to happen. As with anything, people will just simply work around it. Double closes will become more prevalent. Transactional funding opportunities will become more prevalent. And nobody will give a shit about that second document. People will just eat the cost that it costs to double close, a couple of grand, and they'll just walk right around it. And nobody will give a shit. And we'll be at the exact same spot. So or wholesalers. But Chris, I would argue that's a good outcome. Wholesalers are just going to go find title companies that say, I'll just stuff it in the, the title paperwork at the end. And then just look. The yeah, but I think you're, you're missing the point is that that's what happens after the seller has agreed versus if you have to disclose that your true intent is to wholesale it, <laughs> and that if you're unsuccessful, you're not buying it. How many less sellers would opt into that agreement if it had to be disclosed? I don't think on the back end of it, it really changes whether you double close or any of that. Yo, <laughs> when we hear the buzzer, we're done. <laughs> All right, so this is what I'm going to say on this. Uh, CJ finished strong on that, but here's a unintended consequence of what you just talked about, though, CJ. If you are looking at making a profit, are you going to try to continue to make that same amount of profit? And if you have to double close, who are you going to try to get your money from? Is it from the buyer or are we offering less to the seller now? People are going to obviously offer less to the seller. People so are going to go the back seller and retrade. So the seller is harmed they, by this. I think they could be harmed more because what happens oh, is you okay. have people that are in very bad situations and a yep. day before closing, you've already planned exactly what you're doing with every single dollar that I'm sending over to you or you expect to get. And yep. when I call you up a day before closing, I say, Hey, EB, I need you to take a $10,000 price reduction or I can't close tomorrow. A lot of people take that 10 K reduction, man. Yep. All right. All right. No, I really like this question. Like I said, for uh, for everybody watching, it's it's going to be good today. Um, I am going to go ahead and throw the point to CJ just because he finished strong. I'm not going to lie. Uh, everybody was good. Brr, Did was, you say strong or wrong? I, I'm not sure I heard you right. Strong. <laughs> strong. Calm, calm down over there. Calm down over there, Steve. Don't make me come in there and give you a hug. Uh, All right, mocking your <laughs> training legs are out, man. The Dude, it's 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 gonna get a it's gonna get a little fuzzy today. All right, question number two. 
Do the majority of entrepreneurs have a fear of making eight and nine figures? Start us off, CJ. No, they just don't know how and they're not willing to do the work. <laughs> no, everybody wants to make eight or nine figures. People just don't want to do the work to get it. Uh, they don't want to have to go through the team building process. They don't want to have to go through delegation. They don't want to have to go through the continued education to be able to actually get to that point. So instead, they fantasize about it like it's a Powerball lottery ticket at the water cooler inside the office, and they don't do shit. They just get happy and accept exactly where they're at, and they go and brag to their buddies. Like, Because you could go to – I ran into this guy the other day. He's a neurosurgeon, and he's telling me how he's a neurosurgeon and all of that. And I'm just staring at him, and I'm thinking to myself, damn, I make so much more money than you. <laughs> right. So, you know, like if people are willing to do the work, yeah, but most people just aren't. So it's not fear based, it's action based. Jesus, I can't argue with that. That's that's actually 100 percent spot on. You got to do the work. All right, RJ, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I'm going to go the other way. I, I do think most people are afraid of making that kind of money. I think it's most people do not know anyone that's made that kind of money in their lifetime, like truly made that not, Hey, I was a part of a business that had eight figures in revenue, like actually making that in their bank account. I, I think the fear of the unknown of what that looks like, what does their life look like? The, the implications of what that, the pressure that comes along with that. I think there is a lot of entrepreneurs that fear that case in point, over 200 people I've interviewed on my podcast and the majority of them always want to talk about working themselves out of their business to have freedom. When you start talking about working in an eight to nine figure business, that doesn't sound like you're going to have freedom of time. That sounds like you're going to have a lot of pressure, a lot of people to manage and a lot of responsibility. I think that's where the fear comes from. All right. I mean, I see your counter argument, but I also think if you're making eight or nine figures, you can put the proper framework in place to go ahead and alleviate a lot of that headache. Not saying there's not headache, but, you know, just throwing that out there. Steve, Potter, what are your... Potter, Potter CEO. Exactly. CEO, a.k.a. Potter. All right. Go, Steve. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I think this is an interesting question uh, to what RJ is saying. I don't think necessarily that they have a fear of doing it. It's like if you're making... A good amount of money how much more do you need right um i see a lot of uh, uh people that they sabotage themselves and i do think there's there's a certain element of fear that's getting in their way where they once they get to a certain amount of success that's their thermometer they don't want to get any more they're afraid they're going to screw it up so i do think that some people i wouldn't say a majority of like the question i do think there are some people that have a a fear of success that they will self-sabotage but i don't think there's a lot of people that have that fear and the people that are happy to retire or kind of sell off to the sunset because their business hit a certain level there's absolutely nothing wrong with that that's why we got into the business we got into the business for time freedom and financial freedom it wasn't a hit eight figures and nine figures net it was so we could do whatever the hell we want whenever we want with whoever we want on our own terms at least that's why i got into the business all right fair enough steve i can i can, I can see the point there all right brewer what are your thoughts Potter was struggling to respond to your answer there, dude. He didn't know what to say. It was like, there was just this awkward silence there. He should have just said that sucked. But um, I, I, let Jesus. me just put this out into the, the the world. I have no fear of making nine figures, right? So I just want to let the, the world know that 
if, if that's out there and it's in my vicinity, like I, I will fully embrace the opportunity. Um, however, I, I think what CJ saying is that everybody wants to make eight or nine figures. No one wants to earn it. I think what RJ is saying is a lot of times when we imagine what it takes to earn eight or nine figures, some people are intimidated by that. There's a friend of mine, Frank Cobb, that used to say, heavy is the crown, right? And we imagine what the, the lavish lifestyle may be to have all of this money, but it does come with a tremendous amount of responsibility. Um, some people are unable to, 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 to withstand that responsibility. And if I was 25 years old, I generally would have had a fear of making eight figures because I may have killed myself with eight figures worth of money um, and the lack of responsibility I had at, at 25 years old. So I don't think most people are scared of actually making the money. They're intimidated by the work that it takes to earn that and then keep it. And then what's expected of someone that's worth 10 million bucks. You, you generally are expected to act differently and behave differently in society. Well, since Potter forgot his role after my question, he decided he wanted to act like he was a panelist and say, <laughs> if you're making eight or nine figures, you could just go hire someone to run your business. Steve can, since it seems like Steve and I agree, how many people have we seen in our industry start to gain traction, go out and hire someone to start running their business, and the next thing you know, they're working for someone else two years later because the business crumbled. It's not as simple as, hey, I'm just going to go hire someone. And and now you run this eight-figure operation. That's how you end up making reels in someone else's office. It's way big. It's way harder to turn over an eight-figure business than it is in most cases to, to be the person that runs it. I, I think most people fail when they try and to RJ's point, delegate it or turn it over to somebody. That's in my experience, right in the little world that I live in, in York, Pennsylvania, way more people fail <laughs> at trying to turn over a successful business. And uh, like Steve and I talk about this a lot, like irresponsibly delegate. It's like, okay, I hired a CEO, I hired a COO, I hired a sales manager. I'm all done now, right? Uh, you I'm guys in the seat. take over. Yeah, it just it I'm, doesn't I'm in the work. Seat. I'm traveling around the country. I'm doing whatever the hell I want whenever I want. Yeah, that's no, there's a lot of there's so much responsibility. The challenges you have when you're doing a deal a month is different than the challenges you have doing five deals a month. It's different than the challenges you have with 30 deals a month. Right. And then to get to a point where you're doing you're worth eight or nine figures, you're gonna have challenges that there's no books we've talked about, right? There's no specific webinars that you that I was like, hey. You want to figure out how to go from eight-figure net worth to nine-figure net worth? There are very, very few people having these kinds of conversations. But I think that's all fear of the work, right? You know, ultimately, it, however you want to slice it up, people's fears are rooted in the requirement it takes to get level to level to level. The requirement it takes to get to six figures, we're all educators. We're all influencers. We all got coaching programs. We all see it every single day. We see the gap of people they can't get from zero to a hundred K, but then the person that gets from zero to a hundred K, what's the first word they say every single time? Oh, I want to scale. scale. Exactly. They're like, Oh, I'm ready to scale. You're not fucking ready to scale shit, but that's what they think. Right. <laughs> that's what they, that's, that's what they think. That's what they think. All right. And so then what therein lies the next problem, right? Is that now you've got to get from a hundred K to two fifty to 500 to a million. And then when you're at a million, it's like, how do I get to two million? Each level requires new levels of additional work 
additional thought, additional delegation, additional team building. And most people just simply aren't willing to do that. And that's where their fear is rooted. Not in having eight or nine figures. People aren't scared, Steve, when they go get a lottery ticket. When they're like, oh, the Powerball is 1.5. What are we? What would you buy if you won? Nobody's not, scared to go buy the lottery ticket. I would buy friends. I would buy real friends. That's not <laughs> eight or nine figures, though. And, they're, and no matter what, even in your answer of saying they're not afraid of it, you're saying they are. They're afraid of something. They're afraid of the work that comes along with it, the responsibility that's going to come along with it. Oh. Yeah, but not the money itself. It's it's the fear of making eight and nine figures. Not yeah, look, enjoying it. Of course. Man, look, you know, RJ, you've got, you do a great job. And I just want to applaud you as the king closer. You do a great job of, like, <laughs> sidestepping fact. Right? Right. <laughs> You know, you just, I mean, you just do a good job at it, right? It's like, CJ's like speaking, speaking from personal experience, right? He absolutely yeah. fears the work required to be an eight figure net worth guy. 100. I'm going to work at titanium. Right? <laughs> no fear of making eight figures over there. You're in a safe place. Yeah. You have to sell like 90,000 deals at six grand a piece to do it. <laughs> Jesus. Um, wow. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, say that a week off definitely helped CJ out over here because uh, he just went absolutely brutal on this. Um, so, yeah, points to CJ on that one. Also, just going to throw this out there. I agree with Brewer, though. Like, if eight or nine figures is out there, I happily welcome that into, you know, my life. Just I don't want there to be any confusion. Let's clear up all confusion. Yeah, <laughs> all confusion. RJ, I know that there's no confusion on your side either. You want you want eight or nine fit figures, but you know, insulting the judge is not going to get you points, bro. Not it a never good will. Play. I, I promise. Yeah. I promise I won't. I'll gladly accept my shutout this week. It's coming every question, Potter. <laughs> Great. I look forward to our discussion. All right, real quick, Steve, go ahead and read this week's announcement from our sponsor. Uh, yeah, if you guys have ever run PPC ads, you know what headache it is and a nightmare it is to keep up with the latest changes. I used to run my own PPC campaigns. Then I found Bateman Collective. I was relieved to find a PPC partner who actually understands the real estate industry and are true experts in PPC and making PPC work. So do what I did, get a free consult with Bateman, see how they can make your PPC work and generate more leads for you. Uh, visit visit batemancollective.com slash PTD and get your free consultation. Awesome. Thank you, Steve. All right. Question number three. In honor of Mamba Day, how do you incorporate his Mamba mentality into your business? Start us off, CJ. First and foremost, man, shout out to the greatest of all time, Kobe Bryant, 24-8. Legendary guy, man. Don't be in my DMs talking about Mike Jordan. I don't give a shit. Shout out to Kobe. <laughs> Look, my good friend, my good friend, EB, all right, sent me this. All right. Mamba mentality. Let me help everybody out. Learn to love the hate. Embrace it. Enjoy it. You earned it. Everyone is entitled to their own opinion, and everyone should have one about you. Haters are a good problem to have, a phenomenal problem, by the way. All right. Nobody hates the good ones. They hate the great ones. Shout out to my brother, EB. That's how you implement Mamba mentality in your business. You don't give a shit what anybody's got to say. You do what you need to do. You lock in. You take on opinion, you take on hate, you take on whatever, 
you stay locked in on your goals and you get them accomplished, man. Shout out to Kobe Bryant. I mean, you didn't kind of answer the question there, though, of how you incorporate that into your business, though, bro. Well, don't worry. You got two more minutes. No, you can't just show a pic. You can't just show a picture of a gift from Brewer. I just, I, no, I just read it. That's how you implement it, man. That's how you implement it. All right, all right, all right. RJ, what about you? You know, I I agree with with CJ. I mean, Kobe. I I don't know about greater than Michael, but whoa, whoa, one whoa, of the greatest whoa, whoa. of all times. And I I absolutely love how he put in more work than anyone else. And that to me is the part of the mamba mentality that i probably resonate with um looking at hey i'm going to make sure that i perform at a higher level than anyone else in this industry um i'm going to put in the work to make sure that i do that even if i'm not there today and then trusting that once you put in those reps once it's game time that you can perform and uh I, I know we always joke about it, but it, you know, it just most recently happened. I mean, you look back at what happened at Closers Olympics, where you know it was difficult for me to get deals um, there on my my rounds. I had went last. I was calling in the middle of the night on on weekends, and I trusted the the reps that I had put in. And I think that's the part of the Mamba mentality that I probably resonate the most with. Shout out to RJ, four weeks in a row bringing up Closers Olympics. We appreciate that <laughs> over there. All year, baby. Oh, let's do it. Can't, can't wait for the promos for 24. Let's go. All right, all right, Steve, what are your thoughts? Uh, I would say the way we incorporate the mama mentality is we put in the work, right? We do what it takes. Uh, I'm not necessarily, I don't, I, I've said this before, you know, I feel like I'm kind of like Rudy, you guys all laughed about it, but I will outwork anybody. I will work harder. I will put in the reps. And I will work on my craft. And so for me, I feel totally good in training people on sales because I've worked so hard on sales. And as far as doing whatever is required right now, whatever is required in our organization, I am sitting in that seat. I am doing more different things today than I've ever done in the past because right now that's what the company is requiring of me. Right. So I'm willing to put in the work and I'll do whatever it takes, whatever the company requires for us to win. I love that Rudy speech right there. That was very Rudy-esque. I love it. All right, Brewer, what about you? couple notes here. Uh, one, if you haven't noticed, um, you could literally ask a question about the price of groceries. RJ will figure out a way to tie in his win <laughs> on the closest. <laughs> RJ, what do you think about the price of milk? Well, it's kind of like, you know, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I just recently won. Uh, <laughs> So number two, uh, shout out to CJ. Uh, it makes me proud to see that he keeps that picture there. But bro, you couldn't hang it. It's sitting down on the ground. It took bro, like I a bunch of stuff. I got to hang right here, man. I got to redecorate it right, out bro. from under like extension cords and stuff. Yeah. So, <laughs> but like, I think uh, you know, if you, for me, um, you know, Kobe was one of the greatest athletes and inspirational figures of my life, and I, I don't know that that'll change. And the word mentality is what really sticks out to me, right? Uh, his work ethic and all that stuff was, was, was world-class, but he just had a different way that he approached everything. I don't know if you ever read his book, The Mama Mentality, right? But from like the way he approached injury, the way that he approached preparation, the way that he um, rallied and, and challenged the people around him was completely different. So 
the way that you incorporate the Mamba mentality is he had a clear purpose in mind. He wanted to be the greatest of all time. So everything he did had to align with being the greatest of all time. Do I practice like the greatest of all time? Do I, am I a teammate like the greatest of all time? So I think the clarity is you have to drill down into your organization, the purpose behind why the business is there in the first place, and then attach that to each individual in the organization to have them show up and play and prepare the way that the, the Mamba did. Yeah, spot on, man. I, I agree hundred percent with Eric. Like it because it, it's the hard work, but it's the discipline. It's the like it's this that level of striving for greatness where you're constantly working on your craft. Like whatever your deficiencies are, you're willing to constantly work on them. For me and my business, like any weak point I've got, which are plenty, I'm a constant, I'm in a literal constant state of learning. How can I figure out how to get better about this? How can I understand how to do this better? How can I become more educated here? And a lot of people, and this is what I think really what Eric is saying, the mama mentality truly represents, is who's willing to dig that deep. Everybody has greatness in them, but who's willing to go in there and get it? That's the question. Uh, I don't know if everyone has greatness in them. I think that's Not it. everybody's got it, but everybody can't go in there to get it. I mean, clearly you didn't see half of the people competing at the closers. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I, I think one of the things that uh, resonated with me early on was when Kobe talked about the lack of friendships that he had in his life. And, and essentially, he said he viewed that as uh, a weakness and that he didn't have time for it because he was focused on his goals and what he wanted to accomplish. And, and for me, that I always thought that there was something wrong with me, that, that there still there believe is. that. Yeah. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Uh, but learning more and more, like, hey, there's a certain personality type that has a desire for what they want to strive for. And whether or not they achieve it or or it's, a, you know, the level of greatness that Kobe achieved or the level of greatness, like in CJ's point, that that individual person can achieve, uh, that those can be two different things. But I resonated with that aspect of Kobe probably more than anything where it's like, hey, I'm focused on what I'm wanting to accomplish. And because of that, I'm not going to go out and have a ton of friends in my life. So it seems like four of us here embrace the mama mentality. And then the fifth person has the poster on the floor. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Damn. Steve, Steve's taking shots right there. Uh, yeah, like a half drink glass of iced tea sitting on top of it before he brought it in. <laughs> No, 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 no. I'm waiting. Between two tall horses. Like no, 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 no. I've been I've been really kind of uh you know waiting on on RJ. You ain't getting no uh, damn tree for me. No, 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 no. I've been waiting on RJ to get to the point where you know they got this looming recession, the train's running out of plenty of coal, right? You know <laughs> what's happening is happening. I'm waiting where I can get RJ on the handyman services on Thumbtack. And, uh, I, can, I, can, I can get him over here to get these things mounted up. You know? Oh, man. Titanium uh, Thumbtack. I love it. Uh, before he gets on Thumbtack, we are going to give the point to RJ on that one. He... You know, he definitely came with it. We appreciate the uh, insight and hard work there. 
Next up, question number four. What's a common mistake beginning wholesalers or people in real estate make when they start spending uh, when when starting to spend money on marketing? Start us off, RJ. I think it's not having a, a, a process with their marketing efforts, understanding what they're doing. They go out and they see CJ talk about something on a free webinar and they think that's enough to go back and implement that into their business as a business strategy. Whereas I'm sure if you were to look into CJ's education program, there is in depth, Hey, this is what you need to be doing for marketing. And they take bits and pieces and try to become a jack of all trades. You know, uh, I, I saw a post the other day on Facebook where someone said, Hey, I'm doing, one thing of marketing now i want to move on to something else what should i do it should flow within your business you should have a process there as to why you're doing it with intentionality and also built around the skill sets within your team and if you're not doing that then you're probably just going to be wasting your marketing dollars shout out to rj promoting cj over there i i don't know that's like a First time I, I, yeah, I did that. Shout out to Bates, man. Shout out to Bates. That's right. Shout out to Titanium Thumbtack. Free webinars came out, <laughs> and then it just had to flow for the rest of the time. There we go. All right, Steve, what are your thoughts? Uh, a lot of what uh, RJ said. So I think, you know, as far as the process goes, the things to look at, you know, making sure that you're tracking the phone numbers. You know where the lead source is coming from. You got the answer rate, you know, something I, I learned from Eric uh, is making sure you have a good answer rate and making sure you're doing everything you can to answer 90 plus percent of your calls, uh, understanding how to track your return on investment. I used to have no problems whatsoever spending on money on marketing. The problem was I was PT Barnum. I didn't know where the business was coming from. Right. So I think the ability to answer the calls at a 90 percent clip, knowing where the calls are coming from. And then having an ROI calculator to making sure that you're actually getting return for each marketing channel. And then the last thing is a cash conversion cycle, knowing that when I spend a dollar on PPC, when's it coming back in my bank account? When I spend a dollar on direct mail, when's it coming back in my, in my bank account? There we go. <clears throat> that might be the most insightful thing you've ever said on here, Steve. And we thank you thank for you. that. We I, I, got the, I got the questions an hour before the show. Absolutely. I saw you studying them in the hallway. We appreciate that. All right, Brewer, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I think Steve made a lot of good points, but like at a beginner level, I don't know that I want somebody worried about their cash conversion cycle or maybe necessarily their answer rate. I, I think in my opinion, the single biggest mistake beginners make is they go the cheapest route, right? Whether it's like texting, cold calling, and they get caught up in this cost per lead, right? And it's like, I'm generating Facebook leads for 12 bucks. And you need 174 of them to get an appointment, right? And then you need five appointments to get a contract. Assuming you're not, you know, starting from zero and you're a beginning wholesaler, but you have some capital, I would go towards the highest quality lead source possible. And if that was $1,000 for a PPC lead, but I got one in every four PPC leads to convert to a $25,000 deal. It's a six X return. And I had to field four phone calls, not 400 text messages that got forwarded to me by a Filipino VA in pajamas at three in the morning. 
right? So like, I think the biggest mistake they make is that everybody sells to, you know, no money needed, no money required, no cost lead. And they start off with cheap leads. And I think you get what you pay for. Uh, marketing is no different than anything else. Yeah, uh, did you? I just you just triggered my trauma, man. I, I just I just heard the roosters crowing in the background and everything. Oh, oh. <laughs> Shout out to you, Sheena. You keep up those traumas. Right? Yeah. Keep, keep, keep voting in the comments for RJ. Man. Oh. Damn, Brewer, Brewer just Brewer just saw a lot of people right there. All right, what about you, CJ? What are your thoughts? Look, all these answers were great, all right, uh, but they're not right, okay. Uh, and and I and I and I say this respectfully because look, I've worked with over four thousand new people trying to get into wholesaling. Here's the most common mistake people make uh, when it when it when it comes to spending money on marketing is they don't spend any money. That's the most common mistake. All right, what people do is they go and say to themselves like, "Oh, I'm just, I'm going to get a list of a hundred sellers." I'm, I'm, let me get a list of 250. I'm gonna I'm gonna make 10 cold calls. I'm gonna make 100 cold calls. Now you got to go spend some actual money and to be able to get to a point of being able to do that. You got to have an actual plan of what you're spending, right? How many records are you going to get? What is the actual list that you're trying to pull data down on? Right now we've got like I call it like this copy and paste type of thing that's happened in the industry. RJ was kind of touching on it where everybody is simply trying to find something somewhere else to copy and paste instead of just doing the thing they need to do to execute on the business. So I'd love to see more people stop making the common mistake of spending a reasonable amount of money to start their business. Why they don't is because most people are trying to use the least amount of money possible that they have to start a business. And that's not how businesses work. To recap CJ's answer, he said he has coached 4,000 new wholesalers and the number one mistake he's seen them make is they don't spend money on marketing after he coached them. Is that correct? <laughs> <laughs> Let me, you know what? I got this. Okay, I got this thing. I got this thing, right? It's like I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it for you. I'm gonna do it for you. Let me let me help you out, right? Uh, you know, I'm a giver, right? I, I read the book to go giver, so I'm a constant giver. Let me let me try to assist. It's not that they're not spending enough money on marketing at all times. The problem is they'll start spending a small amount of money on marketing and then they'll go see you on closes Olympics, scratching you away somehow to a win. Right. <laughs> and you'll say, you'll say, oh, these are PPC leads. And then they'll say, oh, let me go spend some money on PPC. They don't know that you should be spending at minimum 15 to 20,000 if you want to do PPC business. They don't know if you want to do direct mail that you need to be spending a minimum of five to $7,500 a week for it to be a viable marketing strategy for you. They don't know that. And so they see these things, like Eric said, and they say, oh, $12 per lead on Facebook. Somebody, I saw somebody say that I could do that. And so instead of spending money on just buying data and getting on the phone and calling the data, they'll go then try to run some ads on Facebook and say, oh, I'll spend $150 on Facebook ads. That ain't going to get you nowhere, man. I mean, I, I agree with that. I also agree with what Eric said. I mean, the going the cheapest route, that is a an epidemic in our, our, our business. I mean, because part of it has to do with the fact that these educators are going out and saying you can get into this business without using any of your own money. And here's how you can generate leads for cheap. 
that's part of it. I mean, it, there is a certain level of that's how they're being taught to do this as well. Cold calling, SMS, even though some of those things are outdated and not working as well anymore. I think also though, you got to look at most of the people that are getting into wholesaling. It's not like everyone's coming in with $5,000 in a bank account, right? Like wholesaling is not one of those things that I want to grow up one day and become a wholesaler. Wholesaling is one of those things that right now it seems to be, I see this guy talking on TikTok, on Instagram, on Facebook. I want to do that instead of what I'm doing today. And I think for most of the people where it's appealing, having a large bank account is not in alignment with the avatar who, who wants to quit a job to get into wholesaling. <clears throat> yeah, that was absolutely great. I love that round. Going to give it over to uh, Brewer there, clearly. Uh, you know, he's got some experience with 174 Facebook uh, leads for every one contact. Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's an amazing uh, return on investment there. It takes five uh, minutes for him to get a contract, too. all right real quick before question five i just wanted to read this announcement from another one of our sponsors uh this question will be sponsored uh, by the family tree of real broker if you are looking to make a change in your real estate business check out therealfamilytree.com and schedule your collaboration call with us we will help you grow your real estate business all right next up Question number five for today, we have, um, I don't know if anybody's going to have an opinion on this one. Uh, is wholesaling deals you find on the MLS the best way to get started? Let's go ahead and start us off here, uh, Brewer. Man, this is a sensitive subject. I think, like, CJ <laughs> <laughs> like, might go through Mamba mode on this question, right? Someone's obviously struck a chord with him but it may be it's not it's not for me right if, i think if you have marketing figured out and you understand how to talk to sellers adding a real estate agent to the mix dilutes your ability to to, to influence a seller's decision um, they are a, a effectively a cock blocker right like that is the definition uh of a cock blocker in a real estate transaction is Thanks, often bro the list agent. Um, I mean, but that's your job, right? As the list agent, your job is to protect your seller's f financial interests, right? So often getting a, an offer from an out-of-state wholesaler with no deposit, 90 days due diligence is probably not the right thing for your seller to do. Um, for someone that's not great at marketing, uh, I've seen, a, I saw a software the other day that can blast out 1,200 offers in like 10 minutes. So if I don't want to spend money on marketing, and I don't want to really mess with like the emotional roller coaster of dealing direct with seller. That may be a great way to get started. Listen, I think there's this misconception that you can't actually get a good deal in the MLS. You can. If a house is worth 300 and I get a realtor to agree to sell it to me for their client to 125, I can go wholesale that for 145. It's still a good wholesale deal. It would not be the way that I want to get started. But if someone wants to invest in an outside market, um, they don't want to do direct to seller. Um, and they don't want to spend a bunch of money, it could be a good way to get started. All right. I'm looking at RJ's face over here. I don't know what he's smiling about. He he's must be excited he's going after CJ on this one. Someone left the door open in the men's room while peeing, and he caught a drunk. <laughs> there we go. 
I saw him uh, lick his lips twice. And, uh, he's been blushing the whole time. So clearly, someone's oh, using man. The, the powder room. This this might be the episode that officially gets us canceled. All right, this is our new YouTube channel. <laughs> CJ, what are your thoughts on this subject? I'm interested to see if you have any. It's a great supplemental business vertical. It's a terrible singular business vertical. All right. Anybody who's telling somebody who's brand new in real estate with no experience to try to go wholesale deals off the MLS is selling you something. What nobody can show me is at least 15, 20 people that are consistently getting deals a month with that information, right? Like how many people can a market absorb, right? Everybody doesn't live in, in Phoenix, Arizona, in a major metro area. It's a bunch of people that somehow are tucked away over in York, PA. All right. And so how many people can reasonably make offers in York PA on MLS on market deals and try to wholesale? Them? It's just not a realistic business model that people can actually achieve. What's often not discussed in this is how are people going to provide proof of funds? All right. People have confusion and understanding the one pager that Eric was talking about. How are they going to understand the 10, 12 pagers with disclosures? All right. So there's just a lot of caveats in it that I think is just bad to recommend it to people as a way to get started. What's dangerous is people, I'm an internet marketer. What's dangerous is people don't want to be honest that they're also internet marketers. And instead of just saying that they're marketing to people and that they know the people out here that are searching for the easy button, like we talked about earlier, and the most easiest thing. And as marketers, they're marketing to that hope and that dream. And that's why they're saying to do that. I think it's a bad way to try to run your business starting out. That's what I got to say. I'll jump in when we got more time. There we go. CJ, CJ coming in with a little fire on this one. Here it comes. All right, RJ. Let's let let's see that smile. What you got for us on this one? Yeah, absolutely not the way to start your wholesaling business. Um, and this is coming from someone that for the first two and a half years, that's how I started my wholesaling business because that's what I was taught right by an internet marketer internet marketer said hey you're supposed to go get deals off the mls this is how you dispo them it's basically like they taught me how to ride a bike by putting me in a go-kart and then all of a sudden one day i learned that i i don't know what i'm doing i don't under i don't do any marketing i don't ever talk to sellers i don't know how to do the, essentially the first 50 percent of this business i didn't know how to do I was just shooting offers out and when they got accepted, then it was all about dispositions. That was my wholesale business. And because of that, when the market dried up here in Dallas, Fort Worth and around the country where you couldn't do that anymore, there was a market shift and we couldn't wholesale off the MLS. We were handicapped. We had to find another way to do it. And we had to essentially start over by learning how to go direct to seller and actually become a wholesale organization. You heard it here first. RJ Bates has confirmed that he was handicapped. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Primarily in business. All right, Steve, what about you? What are your thoughts? Um, I don't know if this is the best way to get started, uh, but I think it's definitely a viable uh, model. You know, we got uh, Ryan Zolan uh, with Agent Investors, and I know he's got a lot of successful students uh, in his program, and he has success himself in wholesaling. As a matter of fact, it's actually how Jamil and I first got connected, right? I was the realtor. He was calling me uh, to wholesale deals and he wholesaled the deal that I couldn't sell that I personally own was not getting as much money on the MLS. So 
is it a way to get is it the best way to get started i won't i wouldn't say it's the best way to get started i think it's a viable model i think at the end of the day the most important skill for all of us is how to get in touch with a motivated homeowner i think that is the skill you got to focus on and everything else will take care of yourself you can get really good at that hey uh note should be taken there that if you do start wholesaling deals in the mls call steve trang as the list agent because you're very likely to be able to sell it for more than what he has it <laughs> listed for and has been unable to sell it so maybe we should start putting out motivated agent list right where you just target like a motivated agent yeah agents who can't sell yeah and you just specifically target their listings you pay full price you send out a couple text messages and collect a fifteen thousand dollar fee Here's, Thank the you for that, Eric. Here's one of the problems with going to, you know, direct to agent or, or buying off the MLS is that you are putting your business, the, the control of the business in someone else's hands. You don't control the deal flow because you're limited to what someone else goes out and pays marketing dollars to get the listings and then put it on the MLS. And outside of that, you don't really have any control over your business. That's the part that for me. I would disagree I with that. I would disagree with that, RJ. I would say those that are having success in, in, in wholesaling off the MLS are not targeting realtors that are good at their job, right? They're targeting realtors that are getting listings by chance. So they're not really spending marketing. So what I would say is a person that's starting, if you're going to go this direction, what's the trade-off? The trade-off is you don't have to spend a lot of money on marketing, right? But on the downside, you've got to negotiate against professional negotiators all day, every day, right? Every realtor is a professional mm -hmm. negotiator. So you're trading. Mm -hmm. I don't button. have to. Except for Steve. They're not Except for Steve. Yeah, hold on a second, man. Steve, can uh -oh. I just, let me just ask a question. If yeah. you were looking to buy an item, any, any mm -hmm. item, all right, are you looking to buy from the person who owns the item? Or the person that just happens to be your friend or an advisor of some sort to the person who owns the item. Who would you prefer to speak to about the item that you're trying to buy? Direct mm -hmm. seller. I, I agree with you. Direct seller is the best is the best approach. I'm saying this is the trade-off for going direct to MLS. Yeah, but there's you can't run a business just solely going direct to MLS. Maybe some people could do can in certain markets, but that it, it's only all gonna be short-lived. It's the same Pete. You know who tells you to do this? The same people that run around and say that Airbnb is a business. It's not. It's just a supplemental business revenue stream that you can have. But it's, it shouldn't be your core focus of how you generate revenue. Like, we, we have to be honest about the fact that we're marketers. Why am I the only person always out here saying I'm a marketer? Right? Like, we have to just be honest sometimes. We're marketing to people. And we're trying so to market to them. Why do we have to, to be easy. honest? We're marketers. But we don't have to be honest that we're wholesalers. Ooh. We are being honest that we're wholesalers. It's in the contract. It's a disclosure on the contract. What that we talked about earlier. Are, that was Steve's greatest PTD moment, right? It there. really was. It really was. was. It really was. Crazy, RJ, he's still wrong. Because look, <laughs> that's, what, that's what's crazy. Because if it's in the disclosure, it's like, oh, let me make sure everybody's verbally saying. Like, come on. Steve, you would always want to go direct to seller. This isn't a good viable business to just wholesale off the MLS and tell – you know how much reach you have? How many views did you get last month, Steve? Oh, three, four hundred thousand. All right. So imagine four hundred thousand people in the U.S. saying to themselves, "I'm gonna go wholesale on the MLS." Mm -hmm. How's that gonna really actually go? 
I mean, I can hear the realtor complaints. They hate wholesalers. Imagine, imagine the complaints and what they're going to be doing at NAR legislative wise when that starts to pick up a lot of steam. When we mm -hmm. we're sitting here complaining about them adding the second page to a contract. That steam's already picked up. I don't know. That steam's already here. I don't, yeah, but I'm saying we're, we're talking about the, them adding a second page disclosure to a contract. Imagine what's going to come for this. CJ, to your point, if 400,000 people in just one month listen to that and a small percent decide they want to make that their business, what happens is, is that there's going to be an astronomical amount of properties that are locked up that never get sold, that then get terminated. But guess what? It's all a part of the MLS. There's realtors involved. So it's so hilarious to me that you're you're saying, hey, wholesalers need to come disclose, but we're completely okay with this happening on the MLS with people that don't know what they're doing. When agents are doing the same thing, they're running around locking up people's properties with 12, 12 month listing agreements, Back. knowing they can't even get the property sold. They just want pictures and videos they can throw on Facebook and put their party trays out from Kroger Pretty and hold true. open houses. Oh, waiting for my Kroger tray. Kro the Kroger tray entered the chat. Yeah, let's just be real. <laughs> let's just be honest, man. All right. First and foremost, I don't lock anything up for longer than three months on a listing agreement because I sell my shit. So we're going to go ahead and put that <laughs> on record. That's how that works. Um, I knew that this one was going to bring some fire. Uh, not going to lie. I like what everybody had to say, but particularly cj and rj i'm actually gonna give both of you guys a, a point on that mainly because rj's also lived it started it and then realized like yo this isn't just it like it we need more consistent more consistency hold so, on one second there Potter. nope cj nope. you know how right we were we were so right that eric and steve didn't even get one vote in the chat that's how Jeez. right we were bro i mean it's, it's, it's clear, it, my bad it's i'll hire more views <laughs> <laughs> Cock-a-doodle-doo. All right. I'm wearing VAs to go vote for me. I apologize, RJ. All right. I'm embarrassed by this. Jesus. Okay. We got a uh, sixth question. This is coming from Josh over at uh, Titanium. One of RJ's kids. One. It, Josh is the guy who forgot to put um, Allegedly. The, the, the RJ slideshow up in the back, right? He did. <laughs> He, def he definitely did. Yeah, shout out All to right. Josh, man. Don't be a lady, man. Shout out to Josh. <laughs> <laughs> question, question number six here. We got, what is the most underappreciated position in real estate? Start us off, RJ. Oh, man. Um, I'm going to go with the dispo manager. I, I think that is probably the, the aspect that no one likes to talk about. Um, it probably gets the least amount of attention from all of us uh, internet marketers, like CJ said, you know, <laughs> all of us that are, you know, we love to talk about the clothes. We love it, love to talk about marketing and, and what we're doing to get all these properties on a contract, but the checks are made when you sell the property and very rarely, like if you go look at almost everyone's YouTube channel, that's like the least amount of content that is put out is selling the properties when the check is actually made. Um, and so I think that's probably the most underrated position. All right, valid point. You don't see you don't see a lot on the dispo side. All right, Steve, what are your thoughts? Uh, I would say it's the lead manager. Uh, I think the lead manager has so much responsibility, and they bring so much to the organization. They're the ones that have to do the follow up calls. They have to keep in touch with the homeowners, seeing every month 
how they're doing, how things are going, how are they doing with, with, with the struggle they had. So they had to do the worst work where they had to get screamed at the most, generally speaking, and they don't get the most amount of money, right? The glory goes to the acquisition manager. And then to RJ's point, the dispo manager, when we close a deal, we're celebrating, right? But no one ever celebrates the lead manager. And that's the person that has to build a relationship with the homeowner to stay in touch with them for the next three, 15, 24 months to make sure we bring a signed contract to the organization. Mm. Unless you're RJ, you just have them locked up in under 60 seconds. So, you know, I'm just <laughs> just going to throw that part out there, you know, a li little bit different perspective. All right, Brewer, what's your thoughts? I think it's transaction coordinating. Um, mm. You know, I, I think to, to, I think Dispo does get celebrated, right? Like um, there might not be a lot of people that talk about it or market about it because for the most part in the last three years, selling a property has been relatively easy. It was very transactional. You put a decent deal out there, someone would gobble it up. There wasn't a ton of maybe skill that, that was required. And I think that's tightening up right now. And people have, have put a lot more energy around Dispo. But in our organization, from the time the acquisitions, who I think is the most celebrated, gets the contract, TC deals with a lot of the customer questions about paperwork. They're dealing with title companies, especially in some of these areas that we talked about before where you have closing attorneys, right? That don't return calls. They don't reply to emails. Sellers are trying to back out except on RJ's deals. And you know, the TC person <laughs> is the one that has to, to keep everybody together. They got to handle all of the dispositions agents, messy, incomplete paperwork. They got to handle all of the acquisitions agents, incomplete paperwork. And they are the one that actually delivers it from, hey, we have a contract to the day that the dispo guy gets celebrated and paid. Um, I'm a big fan of TC and I don't think they get enough shine. All right. True. TC. They're the real MVPs. All right, CJ, what's your thoughts? Uh, I think Eric uh, and Steve had good answers. I agree with both of them. Um, I mean, RJ, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know. Um, but... <laughs> But for me, uh, I'm definitely going to say the integrator. Uh, shout out to DeAndre Mind. Um, man, I mean, when you're the integrator, you never get the glory. You never get the high fives. You never get the pats on the back. Uh, mm -hmm. You never, you never get interviewed on Steve Trank's podcast. Uh, nobody's celebrating you all day, every day. And you're the glue, like you're the glue man. Like you're the person that's making sure that everything's going the way it's supposed to go. Is the lead manager on point? Is the sales team on point? Is the T TC team on point? Is the dispo team on point? Hey, did everybody get their check? Right, did we get the systems implemented correctly? Uh, so I, I definitely would say the integrator, man. Integrators need more love. Uh, everybody wants to be uh, on the highlight reel and uh, the person celebrated, but most of us wouldn't be able to do anything uh, without our uh, our integrator for sure. I mean, what's RJ without Cassie? I mean, imagine RJ without Cassie, man. I mean, he he be he be thumbtacking over here, hanging up my stuff. <laughs> for the record, for the record, I have had one integrator on the podcast. One, one. How many? Out of how many episodes? How many episodes? Uh three hundred some. The forgot, the forgotten warrior, man. The integrator, man. For the record. CJ is right. The integrator is important. Eric is right. The TC is important. Steve, after his amazing moment, he had the question prior. 
comes in with the worst answer ever. <laughs> managers are worthless, bro. That is the most meaningless position of all time. What is the acquisitions manager's job? Like, to lock up contracts. Just to, <laughs> to buy the houses. The I mean, my to God, how do y'all not have houses contracts if you have someone just teeing them up for them? Hit the if you want to run a football organization, it's up to you, man. I don't care how you run your business. Oh, man. I, I hate <laughs> lead manager more. That's a question for another PTD. Let's talk about that. Should you have a lead manager? <laughs> Shout out to all the lead managers. I'm a closer. See, Earn by definition, money. he just proved the most unappreciated way, role. I, RJ, if you don't have a lead manager, you are the lead manager, buddy. So <laughs> your, your freaking acquisitions agents are receptionists, basically. No, <laughs> they close deals. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, we're we're not gonna let RJ and, and Brewer go at it for 15 minutes like last time. We're, we're not we're not gonna go <laughs> down, down that down road. 15 minutes. It was 45 minutes it at was, the beginning. Hang on, I just want to say this. Hang on, RJ, you're full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> RJ, you're full of shit. You don't know. There it is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> now, they said RJ is the code caller, the texter. They said he's the yeah, door knock. He's the door knocker. He was probably offended when I made the pajamas joke. Right? I do that three days a week. That's why, I doing, uh, that's why you had that shift on the Closers Olympics at 3 a.m. Because you were in your V8. I didn't know that in y'all's businesses, the acquisitions manager literally called the sellers to say, what's your email? Let me send you the contract. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? They have to He's follow up and ask them how they're doing and what's going on with the house. Like, yeah, bro, right. I, are you doing that, RJ? Yes. No, you're no, talking to a acquisition manager. manager does. No, yeah. that's not it at all. Okay. <laughs> Magically, this is how I close more deals than everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should hire someone else to fuck shit up before me. <laughs> so there it is. Thereby proving lead manager most underappreciated position. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, when, I guess when you go to upload this one is you got to hit that eighteen plus. Uh, <laughs> For real, man. I I like the PTD just leveled up. We went for it. Um, I'm not mad at it. I am gonna say because I personally um, agree with this. I'm giving the point to Brewer, transaction coordinator most underappreciated on the planet not saying the integrator not saying that well we're not going to get in the lead manager side of things because that's like a whole thing you know all all of them are underappreciated at some level probably but the tc probably the most all right so that being said if i can do simple mathematics coming back off of his one week hiatus cj is our winner this week good job to you uh, you know, way to br way to bring some absolute uh, fire today. We liked it. You know, you called everybody out. We're gonna go ahead and sign off in just a few. We're gonna go ahead and let everybody say goodbye. We'll start with you, CJ. Say bye to the people. Uh, it's always a good time. Uh, you know, look, every time I feel like every time I take a week off, I come back and win. Um, yeah, maybe I have to think of that as a strategy. RJ is such a strategist. Maybe I'll think about implementing that. Uh, but it's good to be back. Uh, shout out to RJ and his PJs. Shout out to Steve being wrong. Uh, shout out to Brewer being right most of the time. Uh, but he, he's, he just, 
RJ just annoys him so much he can't stand it. And I, I just love to see it. I just love, I just love to see it. I like to be here for it. I think it's great. Uh, I had a phenomenal time today, man. It's good to see you guys and fun uh, as always, man. And uh, peace out, everybody. Awesome. Thank you, CJ. All right, RJ, say bye to the people. Shout out to Potter's realtor judging there at the end with the TC being the most underrated. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Never more realtor answer right there. Um, to all the other cerebral polygics that I offended. <laughs> I apologize. Um, I'm actually surprised you even understood what I was talking about. Um, yeah, it was good to have you back, CJ. And uh, always fun hanging out with you, Brewer. Uh, fuck you, Potter. And uh... <laughs> oh shit! Looks like RJ's go. RJ's go for a goose egg next week. Sounds great. All right, Steve. Say bye to the people. Fun show as always. I'm glad we got to to bring the heat. The the pre-show uh, banter did not disappoint. Some feelings got hurt. It is what it is. It was a good time. Hopefully, you guys got a lot of value today. Last, certainly not least, Brewer, say bye to the people. Uh, Potter, um, I feel sorry for you, dude. That was an unfair attack on you. <laughs> um, and in support of you, I just want to say, <laughs> um, can't wait to see another one of your Facebook posts where I can see your molars. Good. Um, good, good. Yeah. Appreciate really the awesome. support. <laughs> so, uh, listen, this, this was fun. Um, you know, every time we get the questions, uh, you guys are lying. It was not an hour before the show. It was at 2.17 Eastern Standard Time, which is about three minutes before we generally log on. Um, but uh, whoever did the questions this week, I think RJ owned two of them, right? CJ chimed in with like the MLS thing that he's really – sensitive about so doing that, <laughs> i would suggest you probably fall back a little bit he's on the edge about the mls wholesaling thing <laughs> I would suggest you no longer poke the bear um and uh i look forward to i got a call with steve coming up soon i don't know him and i every once in a while get on a phone call where we talk to each other and act like we respect and like each other so i'm looking forward to that <laughs> oh man I didn't lie to you. I promised you it would be a good show. We appreciate everybody tuning in. We will see you guys again next week. Have a good one.